Hello, hello. Welcome to the Eddie Conversation Podcast. My name is Eddie V. Hill, and I am your host. I am a film director living in Los Angeles, California. This is episode number 42. Yes. Joining me today, Charles Mesa. Hello. I feel so lucky to be here. Thank you for for... inviting me over. I love your place. I love your setup. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I I always love how awkward the opening of podcasts are because it's like you have to be so official and yet i know you from like such a different realm of life you know it feels very interesting we it is true Mm -hmm. however awkward i'm a big fan of awkward yeah and it's all good um right on so let's tell people who you are specifically so it's a difficult question (laughs) when i think of charles yeah um, many things come to mind. Sure. You do, I mean, you work in film. Yeah. Uh, you direct. Yes. You also do some cinematography work. Mm-hmm. Or you have done. I have done. You also know your way around the VFX house. That is where I started out. Okay. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. Um, so question number one. Yeah. <laughs> Anything you want to add to that? Um... No, I mean, I, I feel like that's pretty good for, like, my my filmmaker persona. That's kind of the journey there was okay. VFX, DP, okay. so, director. So, real question number one. Mm-hmm. I don't know, I'm looking over there. Question oh, number one. That's fine. <laughs> um, let's clarify for the people yeah. what the dream is. Shit. Um, I would love to write and direct movies. I mean, that's kind of the goal directing has always been my goal um i've gotten more and more comfortable with the process of writing uh not i mean i've got a couple of stories i think every filmmaker probably at least has one or two good stories in them um so there's a couple that i do want to knock out but i would not be uh i wouldn't necessarily be hesitant to direct somebody else's thing either you know but directing, I'd say, is, is the goal. Well, I mean, you said writing and directing. Mm-hmm. And you also say that to... to all right, so I want to dig into the two, the two stories thing. What, what, where, do, where do you... What's that stem from? How did you... Where did that come from? What, that every... Yeah, that everybody has maybe like <laughs> one or two good stories in them? Like, yeah, I mean, I think that's just tr- a, a true fact of life, man. Like, I think... Okay, as a filmmaker, right? You go to a party or whatever, especially with family. No filmmakers there. And somebody's like, hey, you know what? You should make a movie about <laughs> And then oh, they right, right. tell you. And, of course, most of the time it's a fucking eye roll. But, you know, I think that if you really listen to people and their stories, not when they're trying to pitch you a movie idea, but if you just listen to people and, like, their life and their stories and things that they tell you about themselves, especially for two people that can be quiet and listen to other people. I think you know that when you do stay quiet, people just kind of tell you who they are because a lot of people get um, nervous in conversation. So they'll just throw themselves out there in order to fill the space. So I think that if you just sit there and listen to people, I'd say everyone has at least one or two good stories in them. (coughs) Okay, so you're referring more. So is that a tactic used to extract 
<laughs> story ideas or because oh, I was thinking yeah. about it more in terms of like when you think about yourself as a filmmaker you're yeah. like I've only got two stories in me so I gotta really focus up on which one I want to tell and be kind of oh, a little, no. like I wasn't quite sure if that was the route you were saying God was, no no as somebody with ADHD you know in, in truth I've got like a billion and I'll just keep throwing them out there but like you never know what's gonna stick so mm-hmm. hey okay i'm more of a everything is gray kind of guy you're not gonna it's i don't really consider things you know black and white okay okay it's all in the up up in the air it's all theoretical folks all right lovely so directing's the dream writing and directing specifically you said you're also in open to directing other people's stuff yeah have you You've done that before, yeah? Have you directed, directed something that someone else has written or they come on to do that? Um, not entirely. I mean, besides like some narrative music videos and stuff like that, I've done that before. But as far as somebody else's like narrative short story, um, I've been in situations where maybe somebody will let me try something like you know you want to take these couple shots or whatever we have some time does anybody else want to do anything and then you know you, you fill in and yeah you get you're talking else. about the guys as like the dp you or what do you mean like, kind of i mean like you know you're you're helping out a friend or whatever dping their okay their yeah, set. Yeah. they know i have directorial experience they you know they do their shots and they're like shit we still have 40 minutes left as you want to try sure, something yeah, and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah that sounds like a common yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. That's lovely. Collaboration's yeah. beautiful. Yeah, man. But yeah. Yeah. No. I. I. I actually really do want to tackle kind of somebody else's work. Um, it just hasn't really come up. I mean, a lot of my friends, they started out in the filmmaking world because they want to write and direct. <clears throat> You know, mm-hmm. or they want to act and direct. I mean, everybody wants to be a fucking director now, so it's a little always. Yeah. yeah so it's a little, uh, you know, complicated. Yeah. yeah. To, <laughs> shepherd something out of someone else's hands and be like please trust me with this like yeah, i'll take yeah. it just as serious as you will you know yeah i, I was thinking <clears throat> i had an experience yeah. early on in my career I, i'll just I, i'll divert it to me for a second yeah go for it um it was back when i lived in reno i know i had been self-producing work for maybe like a year or so Making, I was doing this little web series where I started as lead actor and I was just making stuff and I was getting my confidence up just making stuff and pumping stuff out. And I was like, okay, sweet. I've been doing this for a little while. Now let me branch out and like collaborate with some other filmmakers in town and, and make some better stuff. Sure. So then I know I collaborated with this, one, with this one person specifically and they were down to, down to you know, brainstorm some ideas and we met up and I feel like in indie filmmaking when you're starting out um, even though this guy had a lot more experience than me I don't know how much more I don't know it's right. hard to tell when you're sure when you're a baby sure um, but I do recall okay it went it was like the classic there's a dead body and there's guns involved and it's like really dramatic and I'm like oh my gosh I usually do like comedy like I would love to you know, let's experiment and I'll, I'll let's go to Dr. Red. Let me try to put my flavor on what this could be because I've never done it before. Um, but yeah, so the idea was I'll direct 
You'll DP. <clears throat> yeah, but then on the day, it all gets coordinated. And the experience that I had was being that it was something that I wasn't used to doing and it wasn't an idea that I came up with on my own, which was traditionally how I directed stuff. Right. And that this wasn't a natural... It wasn't a natural space for me to be living in. So I just had zero ideas on the day. I'm like, I don't know what to do here. Oh, shit. Just, I am not comfortable. Well, how much prep work was there? Like, not that much. It was like, let's pitch the idea. All right, let's shoot the thing. I didn't even know how to prep. Like, I didn't even know. So it was pretty early on. Yeah, it was pretty. Okay. It was like, I a, you, yeah, I yeah. yeah. So I, I wasn't too familiar with what prepping really looked like like i knew sure. what the sequences were but we didn't storyboard or shot I, we might have shot i don't even remember regardless i didn't know what shots i wanted okay <laughs> i remember always that, a good place to i remember be. just being confused i'm like i don't know so and then in those spaces too it's very difficult to try to like because uh, you don't want to like come across as somebody that doesn't know what they're doing so you're just kind of stammering and stuttering and then everybody knows you don't know what you're doing but um yeah the dp ended up kind of like taking over and suggesting shots and just eventually directing the piece for the most part because i'm just like i don't like nothing's coming to me naturally here so i guess we're doing what you're saying default right <laughs> yeah 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 it happens so uh that was a big learning experience definitely with Directing somebody else's stuff for sure. I feel like takes even more work because yeah, it's you haven't been a part of the process the whole time. Sure, so. sure. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I do like to say that I'm pretty good at adapting when it comes to other people's styles, but you always got to bring your own. And I'm sure that early on, fuck, dude, I probably would have froze up too, mm -hmm. for sure. Damn. Yeah, yeah, because there is the benefit. I mean, that's why, I don't know, that's why I enjoy the writing into the directing because I can, I, I have more time with the material. Sure. And that just adds more confidence. I don't know if that's the same reason for you, if you're actually, if there's... No, man. Yeah. I mean, to be, to be completely honest, like, I love, I mean, don't get me wrong, like, I, I kind of feel like jumping into somebody else's project, like, I'm still... Mm -hmm. My goal is to to direct the damn thing. So you kind of got to pick pick it apart and figure out where the story is for you and stuff like that, and 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 visually tell whatever story mm -hmm. you're seeing in in your head from that script, right? It's it's the evolution of the, of, of the piece. But um, yeah, uh, fuck, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> Sorry, folks. I have ADHD and I drank coffee this morning, so this is going to be real good. Um, uh, you were you were asked what was the question? <laughs> Hit me with it again, buddy. <laughs> so I was uh, saying that it takes a lot more work in when you're directing somebody else's material, sure. because you don't you don't have you don't live with it for as long. Right, right, right. Did it but, come back? To yeah, you? yeah, it did. I mean, just as far as like taking something apart and then putting them back together for me is almost easier. Like, you, you just, you get so much more from being able to read somebody else's script and find where they're coming from, but also find the pockets where you want to fill in, right? So I feel like that process is actually a lot easier for me, to be completely honest. When I'm writing, I tend to do a lot of rewrites. 
Like, you, I really mm. have to find the story and the characters. But if somebody else is telling me their story, it comes a lot easier in the sense where it's like, oh, I can just, well, we just do this here. And then that solves that problem. You know, you can just, I guess I'm a better editor than I am a writer mm. when it comes down to it. So mm -hmm. I feel like that kind of would help me directing other people's stuff. But yeah. That sounds great. Yeah. Um, let's talk about, uh, I guess, just... <laughs> I want to talk about uh, yes. <laughs> a couple of projects that you have directed. Sure. <clears throat> yeah. Is what do you want to? You wanna, uh, <laughs> let's talk about Parched. Yeah. Parched is is that officially your most recent project that you've that you've that, yeah. that's that's available for viewing. That's that's yes. out of post that you've directed. Yeah. Yeah. So how? What is the story about for the people that haven't seen it that aren't familiar? Sure. And we'll talk about kind of that process because I know it's been pretty extensive. Yeah, I mean, so the story of Parched is kind of uh, about a girl named Rebecca and kind of like after a self-destructive bender, she starts receiving voicemails and text messages and phone calls um, from her, her now ex um, who is kind of blaming her for their, their issues. And... Um, as she goes to sleep that night, she kind of feels like she isn't alone in the house. And uh, she kind of wakes up in the middle of the night to that uh, fear that somebody else might be there. Mm -hmm. And this is a short film. It is a short. I, how many minutes? Uh, I think eight minutes and 40 seconds, somewhere mm. around there. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right, now I want to talk. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <clears throat> So how did this, this was? You also wrote this one. You you wrote the script, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, I, I did. I did write it. I, I, I actually kind of started out as like a very campy fucking eighties monster thing, where it was just supposed to be mm. a girl that woke up. She was, you know, she wanted a glass of water or whatever. She was parched. She was parched, if you, if you will. And and, uh, and then she uh, walked out into the kitchen. Was about to fill up her glass thing wasn't working and then there's this monster behind her it comes out of the shadows and i really wanted to try this effect um i had these i always kind of have shots in mind before i even start writing something you know if i see a couple of shots i'm like there's something there let's build a fucking story around this mm. so uh and they tend to be more visual effects heavy than most people i'm sure but uh, that that's just like where I came from, so that's how it gets built out. But um, I wanted to do this shot for a feature that I had in mind, where she turns and there's shoes on the ground, and she's scanning through her shoes that are by the front door, like a flashlight or something, with, okay. with a flashlight. <clears throat> and then as she gets to the end, we see legs in one of the shoes. And then it just starts running at her. And then as she tilts up, there's nothing. So it would be a quick cut shot, boom, the monster's gone. And then I wanted it to basically pop out of a side light that was in front of her. So we get the feet running at her, boom, she shoots up. And then all of a sudden, into the light is this monster's face that just appears from the darkness. Um, and uh, I was like, shit. So I built the whole thing around that. And it was just supposed to be like this dumb, campy horror thing. And then the more I thought about it and the more stuff that was going on in my life at the time, I kind of filled out who the character was and 
what the monster was and yeah gate added uh added your layers of relationship and all that good stuff in there yep okay yeah yeah mainly relationship with myself but uh yeah it was uh you are the girl and the ex-boyfriend I get. I guess so. I think. I mean, parched is really a, a story about self-destruction. So, in life, I kind of feel like, um, you know, we tend to villainize people, especially artists. You know, I, I feel like every artist kind of has their story that they're building in in their head, right? Like our lives are a movie of some sure, sort, sure. and and within the narrative there has to be these, these bad guys and these obstacles that are in your way. And a lot of times, we are the bad guy and we are the obstacle, but for some people, even myself, that's too much to handle. So in some situations, you build this narrative of like, you know what, this guy did this, or man, this whole situation was totally screwed. There's nothing I could have done about it. And instead of looking within ourselves and kind of saying like, shit, you know what, this was my bad. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I probably could have done this here, or maybe I'm the bad guy, and did take a you know, good look at ourselves. And that's kind of what Parch was about. Mm. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if I necessarily view the world the same way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As an artist. <laughs> I, I, I feel like, okay, I... As far as like a self-reflection for myself, sure. self-reflection for, yes. Um, I almost feel like I have the issue of being too optimistic and too, uh, too positive thinking and too benefit of the doubting with other people. Okay. Where I'm like, yeah, like, of course, I, it's, it usually comes down to myself first and did I do everything that I could have done? Sure. And then secondly, I'm like, oh. Actually, like that wasn't my fault, and and not that I villainize the other. I don't know. I, it's a weird. Uh, I don't know. No, I mean, I, I I get where you're coming from, and also, I mean, there's you know, there's plenty of times where we all kind of. I think that is the the default, right? We all try and live our lives accordingly to being responsible human beings that hold ourselves accountable and. You know, for the most part, for most people. Ideally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, I think, I don't know. I feel like it's in those times where, this is going to sound like a very Eastern philosophy, but I mean, presence is everything. And sometimes we're not present. Most of the time, especially me having ADHD, I, uh, I don't feel present. I feel like I'm on autopilot. And, you know, you just have those moments where it's like, shit, I wasn't actively focusing on this moment. I just kind of, it just happened, right? Um, and I, I kind of feel like uh, in those moments, that is where these mistakes can happen. That's kind of where the things happen where we, that we do need to work on, is when we're not actively holding up to our morals and values and stuff like that. You know, everybody slips, but that's my philosophy. <laughs> so being in the, I mean, that's the, the rant over. <laughs> no, being in the present is is important. Mm-hmm. Um, 
yeah, the mind wanders very easily, and keeping it on track is a uh, a skill learned. I feel like you can get you get better at it as you practice, and you become more aware, and you can flip it back. Sure. Um, but yeah, no, I, I yes. Can I ask you a question about your process as like a, a, sure, a filmmaker? Sure. So like when I was talking about um, uh, kind of like having ideas, right? Like <clears throat> visual shots in my my head usually, and then I'll build a story around that, and and then you know you have your story, and then you build the character narrative arc or whatever. That's kind of how I do it. But as far as the process goes, from concept, what is usually the first thing where you're like that's a fucking story. I'm going to write that. Like, how does that happen? Is it a punchline? Is it a shot? Is it? Well, I liked how you had some visuals to dictate a starting point. I thought that I don't, I don't have that. I don't think I have that. Yeah. I, I usually come to a story. Um, I think I normally start with like a, a, Okay. <laughs> it's fine, man. Take I'm trying, your time. I'm, I'm trying to think. Yeah, yeah, for sure. My The answer that I want to give, I don't know if it's correct, right. is I think I almost jump into like producer brain first before mm-hmm. creative brain. I'm like, all right, I'm trying to get something made. The objective is I want to make something. Objective number one, I want to make something. How do I make it? I need to make it producible. Okay, what do I have access to? What can I work with? And then I just kind of have these, I try to figure out what my what my little sandbox is or what my little toolbox is. And I'm like, all right, I have access to the cinematographer and these actors. And this time of year at this location, and then I'm kind of like, I kind of... So when it comes to making things, you're like a realist. Like... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess. Yeah, sure. Because I want to see it get done. <clears throat> of course. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man. <laughs> I wish I was like that. Trust me. So then all these elements yeah. are kind of floating in front of me. Yeah. <clears throat> and then, of course, through the, through the, through the, through the ages of, of Eddie, as we call him, we... Uh, we as in the multiple eddies. Yeah. <laughs> we look at it. We're learning so much. <laughs> we look at it yeah. and um, think about where, what I want to do differently, what I want to explore, what kind of tone I want to give, and start from there. It's like, all right, what do we got? What are the parameters? And, and then I just start with something i have no idea how it starts from there but it's no i normally want to set all the parameters that i need is what locations do i have how many actors can i rely on and what could they play where is this and then i'm like uh what if this because i I do a little filter system in my head too where i'm just swiping through ideas a little bit where i'm like all right brain come up with some stuff (laughs) and then an idea will float out and i'm like all right well this the good ideas come later on it's like just sorry just come up with as many ideas as you can sure swipe it swipe it swipe it and then eventually and then eventually it's like all right cool now we got something pull this out pitch it to somebody and then i like to have a co-writer too that's a big it's a big thing as of late is i i like the idea bouncing in the moment on what are we trying to do 
I know on my recent one, I spent some good amount of time brainstorming with co-writer and the cinematographer. Sure. And being like, what do we want to make here? If we're spending this time on this thing. Sure. What's important right now for us to elevate ourselves? I, I feel like that's also like a very producer thing to, to ask because it's, it, you know, I, I think that like the biggest part of a producer's job is like you create resources by just like, first of all, having resources, but you, you find friends that want something and then you coincide other people's wants with their wants. And that's like the, the most successful way that you can get something made. So that is like a very kind of producer thought process. I mean, that's, I feel like that's how it should be. Yeah, of course. Across the board. Okay, yeah. That's what I was, was going to ask you about this other thing yeah. too. But no, I, I guess that's how I, that's how I've come up with stuff for the most part mm-hmm. is I'm always dealing with parameters and producibility. And I feel like that, that's something that I've been trying to work on too as of late. It's like, what if I don't have the, like, what if, hypothetically speaking, what if we did have $10 million? Yeah. What if I was directing a Marvel movie yeah. and there were no limitations? My brain just kind of shorts. Like, I feel like I'm back in the space in that early, in that early realm yeah. of, like, I don't know how to think like that because I've never had the luxury of, adding VFX shots into, sure, into sure, a movie. Sure. So I'm like, what is, what, what is possible? And it's oh, like, man. yeah, like that. That's, that's the moment where I feel like I thrive, you know, <laughs> when everyone's like, anything's possible. It's like, yes, all right, okay. let's fucking do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, no, that, I, the reason why I kind of asked that question is because, you know, I, I always talk to uh, my friends who are like directors or, or have taken at least a turn at directing and kind of figure out their perspective, you know, and it seems like uh, the idea of what is a director is very up in the air. I mean, you, you have, you know, obviously you're responsible for like things like blocking and stuff like that and, and seeing a project through to the end. But, you know, how you think from the inception of the idea, I kind of feel like is a piece of what shapes you as a director. Mm-hmm. And for instance, like I said, there's a lot of visual stuff. And I think uh, a lot about like world building and like, like the, the just like the, the the mass of the project, like things that are possible, right? In that sense, um, you have the producer perspective. One of my friends is like a pure, just like novelist writer because not necessarily in the way that he formats his scripts, but like I he's really good at dialogue, right? My friend James Hong, he's a, a writer, director friend that I've known since the fourth grade. Um, but he, hi James. Um, he, uh, when he writes, he's, he's really good at dialogue. He's really good at just like two people talking and it's sounding mm-hmm. natural. Um, and so I, I'll ask him, I'm like, yeah, so like how's the character moving and so like that? And he says, the way that I see it in my head is there's a black void and these two characters are just sitting at a table. No matter what, whether they're arguing, whether they're talking and stuff like that, it is just these two characters sitting in a black void talking to each other back and forth. And he can just write like that. And somehow the dialogue just mm-hmm. comes out naturally because he's just like, does it make sense? Like, is it real? You know, if they could be sitting there and saying it like that, then it's, it's natural in a sense. So it's just kind of interesting the mm. perspectives that 
that, mm -hmm. that people that people bring yeah when it comes to that okay so yeah. that brings me to how do you approach like what how do you see your directing approach and what are you what do you how was it before how has it evolved um like when you show up on the day let's say yeah and you're setting up day one of a shoot and you have to establish like your workflow your communication styles with everybody where do you, like where does your ten how, how would you do your attention breakdown because there's like camera there's cast there's production design there's hair makeup there's costumes um yeah i guess uh i don't want to necessarily say i'm like a tyrant on set or anything but like i do run a tight ship so um when we're having conversations about well, I guess even in pre, this is almost more pre-production. This is, this yeah. really is pre-production for me because I'm a I'm a sucker for prep. No, um, for, I, I think okay, yes, yeah, let's yeah. Yeah, let's rewind to pre. Sure. What does it look like? Like sure, the process? Sure. Yeah. Sure. How much emphasis do you give each thing? Is kind of the... right. So I um, I am really looking at. Uh, I work with the actor. Um, and I love to try and get into the space before we even film, uh, which was super easy for me because the last three shorts that we did were filmed in my house. So, you know, and we just do different production design stuff. Um, it's a really good place because the kitchen and the dining room were connected, so it was just like a long... Yeah. You had a lot of room to move the camera around and shit. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I get the actor in there, um, and... At first, I'm talking to the actors about where they're coming from, perspective-wise. So sit down on the couch with them. We have a conversation. And then I try and get a little personal. I mean, just with um, kind of like their perspective, where they're drawing from. And I know that's kind of like a give-and-take relationship. So sometimes I'll share a story on maybe why this thing even got written in the first place. And then they'll share something back on how they connect with that. You know, um, and once we find that middle ground and we find where we're coming from and what places we're working from, you can really draw a lot from that. And from that point, um, I say, all right, let's walk the space, you know. So we go through um, and we kind of just do blocking. I don't want them to act out the scene. I don't, I don't need to see a full performance. And I really do feel that when it comes to performance-wise, do it on the fucking day of. Because if you're practicing, practicing, practicing in pre, sometimes they give you the performance in pre, and it's hard to go back to that. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, yeah. the, especially a good actor is going to try and evolve the performance as it goes along. So you may get the take that you wanted in fucking practice. So definitely blocking um, and just walking through. Once I have that, I bring on the cinematographer and the gaffer and um, we shoot the shit about lighting and, and, and camera and obviously I come in with uh, some pretty solid ideas. Um, my, my dad's... Some, some great ideas. Yeah. <laughs> it's not great ideas. Uh, a lot of it does change but, uh, but I do come in with my own ideas. My, my, my dad started off as a cinematographer when, when, when he started when he was younger. Um, and, uh, you know, we just, we, we go through that. I do the lighting sheet and I do a storyboard mm. of the entire fucking short. 
So a lighting sheet to clarify yeah. for, for non-film folk. Yeah. Or I guess even for myself. Just, it's, yeah. this, it's the bird's eye view of yeah. the space. Yeah, an overshot, and then you just kind of fill in. And like, you as the director, you're showing your lighting. Is this because of your cinematography background, or do you sure. feel like that's common among other directors? I'm, I, no, it's definitely not common. Okay. <laughs> Most of the time, a cinematographer or your gaffer, depending on how much you trust them, are, are yeah. doing that. So that, that's something that you develop in pre as an individually and then you bring it to your your no i don't necessarily come and be like this is how it's going to be done guys well i mean yeah is it a suggestion or do you develop it with the with the dp i'll make the lighting sheets and we'll do the storyboard after we have our conversations so i i come in with ideas and we'll talk about like i was thinking about shooting something through there to hit this wall when she walks into the room Mm -hmm. so we can get branches moving on the wall or whatever and they'll be like yeah that sounds good or how about we do it from this direction or how about we throw rain on the window so that it adds an effect or Mm -hmm. however it goes you know um and then it just kind of evolves from there but the reason why i do the lighting sheets and i do the storyboard is because i can't afford (laughs) paying somebody to be like also you're doing the lighting sheet and the storyboard uh, hopefully one day i have the money to just dictate to my dp and my gaffer but i really want to be respectful of their time mm-hmm. and what i pay them for is what i pay them for mm-hmm. i mean my my three rules on every set is that you know everyone gets paid everyone goes home on time and the food cannot be shit and that is it period Food's got to be great. Food's got to be great. That's, uh, yes, that yeah. sounds great. Um, I guess I was thinking about the lighting sheet. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of to my experiences on set. Like, I'm trying to imagine. Mm-hmm. I need to ask some gaffer friends, maybe. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I don't feel like I see those too frequently. I'm trying to no. imagine from the director's perspective. Yeah. On it probably just adds some clarity for you. Is that is, is at the end of the day, it's for you, right? Or is it developed for the team to stick to the plan that you had talked about? And you wanna, you don't the tyrant non flexibility <laughs> on the day, or? right? I am, I'm all about flexibility, but I, you have to have a solid fucking plan. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not okay with improvise. You know, sure. that, that's not good. When you're like, there is no plan. Let's just do what we want. Then it's awful. But if you set the bar really, really high, because during prep, you have time to think. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, could, you could prep for two years for a short that lasts five minutes if you wanted to. Don't do that, but also you could. But, you know, it's, you have time to prep. So you set the bar high. And if you have ideas on the day of, they're better. That's, that's why you do it. So I have the lighting sheet and everything. It's, it's for me. Mm-hmm. It's for me so that I know I have a plan. You know, and, and as long as we have a plan, we can let go as long as things are better. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess for me, yeah. once I put it on paper, I get a little bit attached to the ideas. Yeah. Where I'm like, all right, sweet. We, me and the cinematographer sat down and planned out how we're going to shoot this. And then on the day, of course, something changes. And I'm like looking at the sheet. And I'm like, the light should go here. The light should go. Why are we not? Like, it kind of comes back to like, what, wait, why do we, what, what? Because 
the, the balancing act right. too is how do you know if an idea is better because more time technically was spent on the idea that you're looking at on the paper you've talked through it mm-hmm. you've sat through it you've thought it out you've put it on you've developed the sheet yes. and then in the split second you come up with another idea but as you know Eddie not everything <laughs> goes according to plan <laughs> on a movie set for you so, uh, whatever <laughs> uh, but you know it, you go there things change you know, sometimes you run out of time. Sometimes you're. Sometimes you look at this great fucking plan that you have written down, and you're like, "These three shots are the same." You know, and you're like, "Combine all of them, done." Okay, okay. But this is where I'm going to sound like a psychopath. All right. Let's hear it. Um, when I work with the actors, when we walk through the blocking, we do not look at the script. I never look at the script after I've written it handed it to the actors, and then we walk through. Maybe we check it for... Well, that's what the script supervisor is Certain for. action for. What script supervisor? No, I'm joking. <laughs> Probably the most important thing. <laughs> Don't, uh, sure, sure. But um, not, yeah, and yeah. But, it depends on... Yeah. Yeah, okay. but I, I really... We don't, I, I, I trust the prep, yeah. I, I trust the prep in the sense that we have an idea in our head... And that is what's more important. So there is... I'm, I'm a script supervisor in an 80s fucking nightmare. I'll tell you that right now. They, I feel like there's at least one or two people on your crew that just hate the way that you work. Mm. Those are the two that hate me, for sure. Is AD and script soup. Because the process is about evolution. So I make the script. I hand it to the actors. We have an idea in the head of what the script is. That, to me, is more important than the actual fucking script. Because that is going to be closer to what it is than that thing that's on that piece of paper. So we roll through and do that. And the storyboard, I got to tell you, on Parched, I checked it. We filmed for three days, and I checked it maybe twice. My AD was looking at it the whole time, being like, we got to do this, we got to do that. But I was just like, fuck that. That doesn't, like, that shot is pointless now. Let's move on to this. And there was tons of stuff, at least, God, how many shots do we have a day? I have no idea. You shot 12-hour days? Uh, no, like... Eight-hour days? Like nine, I think. Like, okay. nine, like a nine-hour day, know, probably. 15, 15 setups, maybe? <laughs> 10 setups? Uh, I, think, I think 15 40 is... 40 setups? <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think somewhere between 15 to 18. That's a lot. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was. It was a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's the other point about storyboarding, though, is that you know, I I think like an editor. So if I'm playing through a shot, I don't need like, all right, let's film the whole scene again from this angle. It's like this angle is for these reactions here, so we're gonna play it from this point to this point, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And I just get that, and I'm done. That sounds like. Fuck safety. Don't no, do safety shots. No, it's called prep. It's called knowing what you want. And, yeah, be um, intentional. Yeah. Yeah. Because we don't have all day, so you got to... Yeah. Okay. How do you approach the other uh, departments? Costumes, hair, makeup, art. Yeah. So, um, I have pretty much been as far as pre goes a one-man band for 
the last couple projects just because, once again, I really just cannot bring myself to um, bring someone on my team and, and not pay them. Uh, so whatever their day rate is, like if they're helping me in prep, I'm, I'm paying them that. And if I can't afford it, I just I don't do it. Um, sometimes I'll ask my friends like a, a question if I, if I can, um, especially when it comes to like budgeting uh, for purchasings of things. Um, and then sometimes I'll do the prep work and then I have someone there on the day of to handle that department. Um, but it really comes down to the fact that I just want to be able to pay them their worth and I can't do that yet. <laughs> so um, I do uh, a lot of, of, of that kind of thinking sure. myself. Yeah. Yeah. But is there any, is there any specific methodology used to help get it done being that it's not necessarily your focus as a filmmaker? I would say that it almost is um, just because kind of like how you were saying you come from a like producing perspective and like that is always a conversation in your creative process, right? It's like another voice. Mm -hmm. you, know, you have this, you have the filmmaker on your shoulder and you have the producer on your shoulder. Sure. And for, for me, um, the visualization of it is everything. So when I'm saying I have an idea for a shot, I know exactly what it looks like. Um, and, and I'm going to get what I want as well. I'm not thinking of like this grand scheme of if I had all the money in the world, it would look like this. It's like, I know what lights I have. I know what camera I have. And I film it at this direction with these shoes and in my house, it's going to look like this, okay, you okay. know? And um, so when it comes to the clothes that people are wearing and the design of the space and stuff like that, I see it. I see it in my head. <laughs> that's so nice <laughs> yeah <laughs> ain't it so uh it ain't nice when you're trying so to I... purchase <laughs> things and trying to figure out how to do it because sometimes sure. you don't have the thing you need yeah so yeah. i guess the only the only hurdle left at that point is just communicating the idea to everybody else mm -hmm. to make sure that it's accomplished because that's that's the other i mean depending on how much help you need to achieve it you know like the actor doing the right thing and the finding the actual clothes that you envision like there's there's certain stuff in there definitely for that yeah yeah, yeah but I, I try and be really deliberate with with everything that I do otherwise it's 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 not in there you know and that's kind of why some ideas change on the day of too is because um, someone will have a stronger vision they really 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 see something in their head and I can tell I can tell when someone's telling it to me not just speaking in confidence but you can tell they see it and if they see it and i kind of see mine i'm going with their idea no you trust it yeah, yeah. trust in the team yeah got it nice yeah bud i want to i feel like okay this is a little bit of a it's not too big of a change of topic but sure. i feel like you might likely have an opinion on it let's do it um i forget what the date is but iotsi's uh IOTC going through a thing right now where there 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 might there's like an there's an impending strike in the film industry. Yeah. Based on like IOTC, which is covers the bulk of film crew yeah. people. Yeah. So um, there's a lot of conversations happening that I know I'm seeing on in different different Facebook groups sure. and 
on Instagram, people are sharing stuff about the crazy set life expectations. So I was curious on how do you feel about the 12 hour work day and um, yeah. the 12 plus hour work day. And because uh, I know like I don't work in IOTC life, but I have experienced long work days and productions ask a lot of people. So uh, I don't, I feel like I could preface what's happening a little bit better, but I don't know if you... Uh... I mean, I know that they're, they're fighting to reduce long work hours and get rid of what you would essentially call a fratter day, where you, they say, hey, you get the weekend off, but really you're working into Saturday morning, and then you're losing that time, so you're getting a day and a half off before you go back to work. Um, you know, and sometimes the call time on fucking Monday is really Sunday night at, you know, whatever a.m. Um, yeah, so look, I have a lot of friends that are in a couple of the, you know, the local 600 and all that shit. Um, I'm hearing from a lot of younger friends that they're more not on the side of the unions, which to me is fucking insane, <laughs> but I understand where they're coming from, right? Yeah, let's hear it. All right. So I came from a place of working with friends with no budget, and I think Bruce Campbell, uh, on the set of Evil Dead, he was talking with Sam Raimi and the DP, and the DP said, you can have it done fast, cheap, or good, pick two. Right. Right? So we come from a world where if we want it good, we we need to take a lot of time in order to accomplish that. So we did the 14-hour day things when we first started. And I think because we did that and because we're young, people think that they can fucking go on forever. Like we're, we're a goddamn unstoppable uh, locomotive. But, um, you know, eventually you're going to be 50 years old and, and have kids that you're gone from. You know, I, I, I remember um, when my dad was working on collateral damage and uh, he just left for three months. <laughs> you know, he was just like, all right, kids, I'm going off to war and just like picked up and left. And like we got a phone call every Saturday night of like, how you guys doing? And that was it. And then we just didn't see him for three months. And then he came back and it was like, OK, I guess that's life. Um, you mm-hmm. know, so. I, I just think it's insane, man. And like when you look at the, they've put together a list, and I'm sure you can you can find it on a lot of the um, Facebook pages and stuff like that. But there was a cinematographer that did a documentary in the early 2000s about, I believe it's called Who Needs Sleep, and and you can look that up. Um, but it's uh, it is a documentary about people that have died on the road mm. due to lack of sleep, mm. and the list is insane dude i mean there are not just like oh there's like five people in the past year it's like it's almost a hundred you know so there's there's people that are just driving home from a long day and because they didn't want to sleep in the hotel or whatever that the production was offering because they wanted to go home and see their kids one day a week um they drove these two hours fell asleep at the wheel and they fucking died so I think anyone that is trying to fight against it is probably a heartless human being <laughs> that just wants to save money. Um, and, 
or a youngster that has nothing else in their life that Besides it's like work. well i'm because then the, uh, the there's no that argument is well i'm here in la to do the thing that i love and i exactly. want to be on set all day right and, and i guess this is like what i'm here to do right and this is right what now. it's always been and i'm 23 right. and whatever, whatever the thing is yeah put me on set right like i love it yeah. <laughs> more money yeah exactly uh, but in reality yeah there's the the diminishing returns aspect as well which is a big argument yeah too um but uh okay i don't know um i know that i okay because it comes down to you produce stuff yourself as well yeah. you 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 produce work and you want to pay your people yeah um I know a priority for me on my sets is I want to produce stuff. I don't always pay people, but I do the food thing and I do the time thing yeah. where it's like, I know we are, it's a, it's a time respecting. It's, I know I don't operate very, at a very high level if we're working long hours. Like you, you, you stop having good ideas, your yeah. brain, you just, you just lose everything. It's like give people the rest, reset, recover. And it's the whole marathon thing versus the the I'd, I'd almost prefer like I'm I'm very curious on what Ayati is looking for on what kind of day they want because I know for those that don't work in film I've never the traditional American work day is a twelve hour day mm-hmm. which is a really long day right. And then I know a lot of productions push past a 12-hour mark very frequently. Most. Most, supposedly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and not only that, I mean, and that's the big thing is like, look, if you're filming a Western or whatever and you live out in the valley, because everyone that is working crew is fucking living out in the valley, and they're like, oh, you know what? You actually you have to drive up to fucking Castaic or you have to drive up to Kernville. And that's where we're filming. So it's an hour and a half drive there. You work a 14-hour day. And then it's an hour and a half drive back. So really... It's 17 hours. It's 17 hours. And then also the call time is the same the next day. So realistically, if it's a 17-hour day and you have an hour to spend with your family and you have to eat and get ready for bed, which is another hour, let's say 19 hours. So how many hours are you sleeping? You're sleeping. You're not sleeping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're sleeping maybe five hours a night. That's if you do everything you need to do, fall asleep, wake up, and go. And you're sleeping five hours a night. You're working basically 17 hours a day. And you're doing that week after week after week until the fucking project is done. And most of the time... Because there's no, that's another thing that filmmakers don't really talk about. But if you stop working, it's basically like you're not a filmmaker anymore. You know, like when it comes to like my brother's visual effects work or my dad's visual effects work, it doesn't matter whether he won a fucking Emmy or an Academy Award or whatever the fuck it is, right? If you haven't done something in the past six months, you're retired. That's just how it is. So a lot of crew members 
are taking job after job after job. So it's not like, oh, fuck, I just worked 17-hour days and had four hours of sleep every night, and I did that for two months. Oh, let me go take a two-month break. It's like, I need to find the next project. I have to find one, because six years from now, I might not even be able to do this anymore. So they're just taking project after project after project, just doing it all over again. Just fucked. For the for like the relevancy sake is what you're saying, just to just stay in people's uh, Rolexes. Rolex? Rolex? No, not Rolex. What's the, the uh, Rolodex. Rolodex. Close enough. I mean that is a fear. Yeah, I'm... I mean for for a lot of people it is. For a lot of people it is. You know? So I guess what I was gonna say is uh, as someone who does produce and will likely continue to producing for a long time, does this, how much have you thought about it before? Or is it more, is this IATSE thing bringing it more to the forefront? Like, oh, I want to do things differently moving forward or because. I mean, I'd, I'd say that as far as it goes, I have a, decent grip on things i'd never i'd never do a night shoot and be like all right we're doing a morning shoot tomorrow guys so just make sure you get home and get your rest and we're starting early like i try to be as respectful to my crew as i can be (laughs) you know like i i kind of i i guess you just have to you got to value their lives more than yours as a director more than your project uh, yeah sure even you know but uh don't ask anybody anything you wouldn't do well shit like that it's uh, just what that's always a tough part too why well because i know i work i mean we've all worked with people that are willing to go to extreme lengths sure so that argument doesn't always work. It's like, hey, I'm willing to stay for 24 hours for this. Why are you not? Are you not dedicated like like that? Sure, yeah. sure. But, I mean, there is uh, a piece of filmmaking on the flip side. I guess I'm contradicting myself here and going to sound like an asshole. But um, I think I understood what it meant to be an indie filmmaker once I compared it to being a fucking pirate. Y- y- you... In a sense, you have to be a respectful human being and you have to be who you are. But when it comes to filmmaking, you also have to lie, cheat, and steal in order to get what you want sometimes. Like, it, it is it, not in so many, like, vulgar words, but you get what I mean. It's like, there are those times where it's just like, well, it's better to ask for forgiveness than for permission. Let's just do this. Or, I guess I'm breaking into government property in order to get this shot. Mm-hmm. You know, however, however it needs to be. So there, there is that flip side of the coin. And I think that because that type of lifestyle is so ingrained in the filmmaker, that's kind of where the other bad shit came from. So there, there is a, a flip coin to it. It's, it's our, our lifestyle has been built to be kind of shitty. I guess, well, in, and, then, and, then, and then of course it's being exploited, exactly, which is which is the issue. Right. It's like, sure, if you want to do that on your own time and you're making your own thing, cool. Right. But now I'm gonna. The the issue for me comes into we have the money, as as a as a studio or as a big production company that does these commercials, sure. and we 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 could afford you, and we could afford to not feed you. We can afford to hold you late. 
and or even to risk your life. <laughs> it's like we could afford it, and yeah. you just do the thing, and you're going to be happy because we're giving you this money. Yeah, there was a crew member that uh, fell um, this like a couple days ago. Uh, I don't know if it was in the Warner Brothers lot or not, but he fell like like eighty feet or something, just because they were like, "Fuck it, Jerry rigged this thing up there, and it was okay." <laughs> like, guess I'm going to risk my life today as a grip, you know? So yeah, no, I'm okay. I don't know. I'm trying to. Uh, uh, I'll bring up some examples. Sure. Um, because I know. I don't know how to really fix it. I don't know. Like, as a producer, because um, I know I've been on some shows that have, let's say, like a PA that has to pick up a grip truck mm-hmm. in the morning. So mm-hmm. they have a pre-call. And then after the wrap, they have to drop it back off. Mm-hmm. And then... Just plus... get two PAs. <laughs> you do the handoff, right? Yeah. And one PA drops off, one PA. But then you have the car of the first PA that's there at the... It's so there's people, and then there's like even just makeup people too. Like cast gets pre-called, mm-hmm. and then makeup has to get pre-called with cast, mm-hmm. and then makeup's there early, but then they have to stay the whole time because the shoot. They have other actors that come later. Sure. Um, hire more makeup people. Hire Spend more, more money. <laughs> <laughs> you sick, <laughs> cheap bastards. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Cool. My, my other thing, my, more of my preference mm-hmm. is, and I don't know if this is the direction that they want to go, is in IATSE, yeah. but it's like, hey, it's a, it comes down to the, I feel like it comes down to the producers, really, where... That's, oh. that's the thing, though, dude. Like, it does come down to the producers, and you're right, but at the same time, and I, you know, it, it's it's one of those things where... The producers are essentially the problem. Therefore, they almost shouldn't be in the argument. They, they should be able to rebuttal once everything has been put together and the demands are here, then have a conversation. Sure, sure. But off of the letter that was sent out by the local 600 like three weeks ago, I, I have a couple friends in there, so they sent it to me and oh, I, got nice. to, I got to read it. I want to see it. Uh, yeah, I can send it off to you. But... Um, they basically sent their demands to the big Hollywood studios, Warner Brothers, Universal, Fox, and stuff like that. And the yeah. producers read it and said, yeah, go fuck yourself. We don't care. So that is when they said, okay, well, I guess we're going to have to possibly strike now. Which it's I don't... A, it's a great time to strike, though. It's like perfect time. I guess so. Well, just because the film industry is now just kind of gearing up and getting rolling again. and. Yeah. People are behind on their on their timeline. That was a big thing as well, though. I think that's a big reason why people were being overworked is because they They've were... They've always tr- been overworked. Right, but they were extra overworked in the sense that they were trying to catch up on things that were supposed to be filmed during COVID, and there were other things that were greenlit that were supposed to be made. So again, my solution here, yes. it's very simple. Yeah. And it does come down to the powers that be, yeah. is you can still get the same product done just you know, you just add more days. <laughs> but to them, that's more money. You add that's more days. Cardinal sin. <laughs> and you, let's just say, hypothetically speaking, mm-hmm. like the new rule is we do eight-hour days. It's, a, it's an eight-hour shoot day. Probably not 
It's an eight-hour <laughs> shoot day, and instead of doing a 20-day feature, it's now a 35-day feature, and you get paid the same day rate. Man, you are you are an optimist. Because <laughs> <laughs> here's the thing that yeah. okay, yeah. there's I forget which country I've, I don't know if I brought this up on the podcast before, but sure. Forget which country it was, but they did like the whole workday experiment recently. The, the three-day work week. It was either like a three-day work week or like a two-hour work day or something crazy like New that. Zealand about four years ago. I think there's another one more recent than that. But, oh, okay. But, uh-huh. They did a three-day work week, and they found that the same amount of work was getting done in that period of time. People were just stretching it out over a five-day work week because they didn't want to sit there and act like they were doing nothing because they were doing nothing. Yeah. Yeah. It's most people. Yeah. So... If you can get the same amount of work done in three days or two hours a day, why are we working 12 hours a day? Well, so, the, the, yes. Again, the, I understand. Okay, here's the other thing, too. Let's right. say I, I was just on a commercial shoot yesterday. Right. They had a lot of money. Right. And they didn't care. And I could tell they didn't care. <laughs> Like the producers are all, you know, I'm at Video Village as a script supervisor, so I get to see the producers around me. Sure. They're all hanging out. They're all so nonchalant. (laughs) (laughs) Because I kind of offhand, I say things sometimes, just kind of like, oh, like we, because I could tell producers get tired on set too. Sure. They're like exhausted. They're tired of giving the thumbs up to every shot that comes up. They're like, are we done yet? And it's like, oh, we actually have like, you know, we... I know, it's been 12 hours. We got, we got like five setups left. And the yeah. guy's like, like why, are we, yeah. why are we still shooting? Like, we're... Of course. You will stretch out the amount of work. If you, if you're, if you give a, a, a crew 12 hours, mm-hmm. somebody on the crew is going to want to go that 12 hours, be it the DP, because they want to light it correctly and light it properly. Right. Or it's a director that wants to get this extra angle or extra shot or make sure they're covering themselves. Like, we have, wait, do we have more time to do this? Can we get this other angle? Sure. There's always somebody that's going to stretch it out. So you just tell I them. I feel like that's why the 12-hour day is necessary. But you don't need all that other stuff. Like you said, mm-hmm. if, you, if you know, if you're thinking as an editor. Mm-hmm. And you know what And you, you know want. what you need. Yeah. To complete the project, sure. you're like, I got what I needed on this one take. We don't really have to go again because we have extra time. Let's just do it again. So, yeah, it, dude. But lighting setups and shit, like on on actual like narrative, you know, sets, sometimes takes a shit ton of time. And you account for that time. No, you can't do it in an eight hour day. It's impossible. You can. What you can't? <laughs> I'm gonna say you can't. I'm not saying I'm not saying you can get that same twelve hour day done in an eight hour day. No, no, no. Of course not. What I'm saying is, the, the work quality overall will likely be better if you're giving people the same. Like it's like, all right, let's get what we need. Let's we we know it's going to take this much time to light the stuff. Let's not overstack a day. We know we only have eight hours, so we can only do this many pages. Like I. <sighs> I know I, I know that I run my own sets very efficiently. Sure. And I plan for stuff and I don't overshoot. Like I know sure. I know it could be done and I just know it's there's too many The issue the issue that I see with the eight hour day, the glaring issue that I see with the eight hour day as a filmmaker is the fact that just setups. Setups take so fucking long. Setups is four hours of your day. So really you have a four hour day. 
with the actors, with everybody. Like sometimes makeup takes six hours to apply. So technically you would have a two hour day and it would just be that forever. Like you have to have really long days. But what the local is suggesting is 12 on, 12 off. And I think that's fair. Just get a new team of fucking grips to come in the next day and you just work that day. So as uh, you know, a grip and a, <laughs> as as a grip and electrician and stuff like that, you do you work Monday, Wednesday, you know, Friday like that. Mm, it doesn't work. Why, why not? <laughs> that works. That works it better works for the grip team. It doesn't work for a script supervisor. It sure. doesn't work for the AD. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work for the director. It doesn't work for the actor. Well, I mean, directors and DP and actors aren't going to have a fucking choice. They're probably going to work. That's the issue. The That's the issue. Right. Do the eight-hour day? <laughs> yeah, but the crews, the crews are they're going for themselves. I mean, they're, they're trying to get theirs. Because they've been tortured well, all I mean, this time. I mean, so they don't really give a fuck about the director super- and actor. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah, but script supervisors, IELTS as well. Like it's, And you can't just rotate a script supervisor because you got to know continuity-wise what was shot before and if it's going to cut together. Like, you got to manage it. There's a change in the job, and it does make it a little more difficult, but it's not impossible. You, That's you, weird. you take more reference photos. You communicate a it little bit more. Work. You have a, pre, a, a a preface meeting of thirty minutes every day with your script soup or, team. Just yeah. or hear me out. Yeah. Eight <laughs> hour day. <laughs> understand. Yeah, yeah. That. <laughs> understand that we only have a finite amount of time. That uh-huh. we respect the people that are working for us. And. <laughs> And well, boom! Every you know, that's I know I'm living in fantasy land. Over here. <laughs> so they both don't work. <laughs> so we solved it, but not solving it. Congratulations! I'm just saying, as a, as Eddie producer, Figure I know out something else. I know it's at the very forefront of everything that I plan. Sure. Is for my last feature, I did ten hour days. Right. And I would love to experiment with an eight hour day schedule. And like, guys, we're doing eight hours. Yeah. We're going to have a lot of time off. We're going to be able to chill and relax and recover. And I know the 10 hour day did a lot for us. It was an 18 day shoot, 10 hour days. And there was a couple of days where crew, cast, and DP and other people were like, no, we're we're good to go longer. And it's like, no, we're not going to go longer. Yeah. I'm standing up. As producer, director, I'm like, we're not doing. Longer if we are, like there were a couple specific times where the turnaround was shorter, or we did go like an extra hour to an eleven hour day one. Sure, um, but that was communicated ahead of time to everybody and made right. sure everybody was right. involved in that communication. Sure, sure. Thing. Just gotta so, let them know what's going on. Yeah, so, so that's that's my thing. Fair Either way, I'm very curious to see how it plays out. I hope it does come to a strike. <laughs> I bet it will. I'd be very excited. I bet it will. It's really hard to get the local to strike. The last time they did it was like in 1924 or something. In so the 30s or something. Yeah, I yeah, think. yeah. So, you know, it's, uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see. Good so, luck to you thanks for Yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. Subscribe, <laughs> rate if you're enjoying the conversation. <laughs> um, next question. Yeah. Uh, let's see. This is more of a thing that kind of came up recently for me. 
how do you know let's just say when you're when you're working as a freelancer or otherwise or as you're elevating your career and doing different things and you know being offered certain certain gigs and stuff how do you know your worth how do you gauge what your rate is and when to level it up oh man it's all about the project and the people Mm -hmm. for me um if someone is paying really really good money for a shitty project i am luckily in a position where i can say i don't want to do that so no you know and uh if someone is really really cool and you think that they're gonna make something really really good and um they have almost no money whatsoever i would much rather take that project and work on that um i'm in a different position than most people Mm -hmm. i'm not trying to earn a living from filming yeah yeah. let's just say hypothetically speaking yeah is you're approached by a producer to direct a project and they're like, all right, cool. Let's let's chat about this. What's your what's your rate? Just so we can know if we're on the same, like, what? How do you? Or is it? How does how would you play that out? Um, okay, so let's say it's a project that I really want to do. Mm-hmm. Like it's something that I really want to work yeah, on. Yeah, it's in your vein. You kind of resonate with the script. And the producer comes and he says, "So, what's your day rate?" Um, Luckily, I have some experience with, you know, budgeting out my projects and and working as a producer on a couple of other projects. Um, So I would look at it from that perspective. I'd look at it from the budget. I would look at, uh, you know, kind of how, what what are they prioritizing exactly? You know, because sometimes you'll have a short or a feature or whatever and you can tell that all the money is going to go to VFX. And it's like, okay, well, obviously the VFX supervisor and the compositors and stuff like that are about to make a shit ton of money, which means I'm going to ask for a lot less than I normally would. you know. But really it comes down to, to budget. I really don't think that you can put a price on your head and just say, this is it, this is my, this is my fee, because if you're working on a a VFX-heavy story, or if you're working on a horror film that you know is going to shoot overnight every single day and you're not a night owl, Mm -hmm. then that project's going to be way harder than than it was otherwise. So it really depends on the project. I I hate to be that guy who's like, I don't put a price on my head. Of course, course it depends on the project. But so effectively you're saying... If you're open to directing it and you want to direct it, you're very flexible in those means. Absolutely. If you're not open to directing it, is there a certain that I feel is like there that, a certain that, that, that that becomes the I can I can buy you kind of thing. It's like, all right, how much do I have to pay you for you to come out and direct this for me? Right. Like, is there a? I'm not putting my name on something that shit. <laughs> well, uh, well, that's like if if I don't know people on it. And I know the project's going to be bad. Well, and they're like, you don't know. You don't know if it's gonna. If they can afford a thousand dollars a day to to pay you, yeah. And they seem to have their their shit together. And it's just sometimes they don't have their shit together though. Sometimes they just have a lot of money. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like sometimes it is a rich dude whose you know son always wanted to be a filmmaker and has no experience whatsoever 
and wants to make a movie and you're about going to direct this guy, a yeah. flying crayon. <laughs> yeah, you're just like, okay. <laughs> and the kid's like, yeah, but I want it done exactly like this. And you are just the dancing monkey with the megaphone. Then yeah, I'm not putting my name on it. I don't well, care if they offer me. A, sure, sure. You know, if they offer me a million dollars, if they offer me two hundred thousand dollars, then I say okay. But my name is like Stanley Yelnats. <laughs> okay, like it's it's uh, not Charles Mesa. A nice holes reference there. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. All right, because I think about um, I was. Uh, watching the director yesterday do their work yeah. on commercial work, and that's how I feel about commercial directing. Oh, yeah. That's to, like, buy a house or a boat, you know? That's the new Tesla money, <laughs> is is when directors direct commercials and DPs DP commercials. It's, it's a rough time. It's like, I want to build a back house, so I guess we're doing Geico, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, to how? So you've been on. You've been able to. You've never directed a commercial. Have you? Have you witnessed directors in the commercial space? Is yes. That, okay. Yeah, yeah. Can I you have. explain to people that aren't familiar with what that looks like? Well, or, I mean, what, I would... what the difference is with directing a commercial versus directing a narrative. Okay. Well, I only know from a director and DP perspective what like building out a commercial looks like, mm-hmm. but it is way more extensive. I mean, uh, one of my friends, uh, his name's Stephen Greathouse. He's in the uh, St. Louis area. He's, he's a, a big commercial DP out there. Um, but he has given me, like, his, his things that he has to send in to apply for work and apply for jobs. And it is basically all of the prep work that I was talking about for for my short where I do the lighting diagram and I do the shot listing and you do all that stuff, like, it, it's that. I mean, he sends in a goddamn portfolio that's 10 pages long of, like, and we're going to light it from this angle and we're going to have this to make it look warm and it's going to have this exact high-key tone that you're going to you're gonna look for and, and the product is going to be angled this way and we'll do a backlight on it. So And then, you know, liquid's going to pour down. It's going to look perfect like this. Like, his... Stuff is meticulous when it comes to uh, the breakdown of, w- of what it's going to be. And he likes to work with directors, too. So they'll submit a similar portfolio where it's like you hire us as a tag team sort of thing. Um, but the commercial world is a lot more meticulous and uh, a lot more, I guess, forgiving and unforgiving in certain ways. I mean, there's... I would say that I've seen in the commercial space there's kind of, I don't want to say less assholes or anything, but I, I feel like there's a little bit of a different tone on commercial sets. Like, well, for instance, if you're working, if you're working on a narrative piece as, as a, a crew guy, sometimes you have to fight to get paid after 30 days. That's not going to happen on a commercial set. You're going to get paid. Sure. But yeah, yeah what about on, on the day, though? Yeah. I mean, how do you, how do you mean? <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking more about, like, the actual directing, um, just the process the process of directing and where the attention goes as a director is mm-hmm. complete, completely different on a commercial set. Sure. I mean, effectively, you're still, you're still the communicator of the idea and the tone, but... But you're working for... 
somebody you're else. You're working for somebody, so yeah. every idea that you pitch, well, you're, you're kind of doing your thing, but in the background, people are kind of also saying stuff to you. Sure. And you're like, all right, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. Oh, wait, you want, you want this? Okay, cool. All right, can you do that? All right, right. actually, we're going to go again. Do that. Again, perfect. Okay, we're going to do that. Wait, you want the hand to do? Okay. All right, we're going to. Right. As, as, far, as far as from what I've experienced, which I've, I've went on a couple of sets of like OnStar when my dad was doing OnStar and shit like that, but it is not a lot of ideas happening. It is everything was written out beforehand. They already know the setups. They already know everything that's going to happen, and they film it and they get out. You know? Yeah, that's not my experience. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, my experience is they have they've done all the prep. Yeah. As a script supervisor, I, I see the the whole document. I see the storyboards. I'm like, all right, what's happening here? We're shooting, we're shooting these people, and this thing has to happen. I guess they're just making. I don't know what they're doing here, but. The, the director, it feels like, will just repeat, they'll just keep saying stuff and trying stuff and doing stuff until a client says, thumbs up, we like it. And say, like, all right, I guess like, we're moving on. All right, we're going to do this. And so the director's almost just like on this like autopilot. Of like just, just throwing out things. They're just throwing like... stuff out and doing stuff and, and kind of like, all right, while the client's trying to figure stuff out, like, try this, try this, try this. Okay, we're getting some notes in. All right, cool. Let's get the notes on that. That sounds great. We shot. We And then for me as a script supervisor. You're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Of course, on a commercial, my job right. is completely different where I, I don't really do anything except take photos. I take screenshots mm-hmm. and then write down what we shot. Right. <laughs> and what storyboard number it kind of pairs up. It was like, this was storyboard 16. And then we took 80 takes of this. We did multiple passes. So as a script soup, I'm just like, all right, we spent, I know this is like a two second cut, but we spent 15 minutes just redoing this. and Sure. Sounds like you're stressed. <laughs> I just can't do it. Right. I don't want to direct a commercial, okay? I hear that it's a route that yeah. that directors Honestly, can take. I feel like with your producer brain, you'd be good at it. Like you would actually make a lot of money doing that. I mean, maybe you'd want to blow your brains out, but you well, could I, successfully I guess, I guess make a lot of money at it. I just wonder why directors approach it the way they do because I've seen multiple directors do it this way. Right. I would feel like it'd be more productive to actually have more conversations and less shooting, which is always my thing. It's like, all right, cool. Before I come in here and direct the scene, let me talk to client, make sure we're on the same page. I mean, go in. All right, let's cut that and see what we think. Take it very chill. Take it very slow versus the... Well, like, from, I, I don't know, but even then, it's it's a, it's a weird it's a weird thing. Right. I mean, from what I've seen from like Shane Hurlbut and like what he's posted about his commercial work, a lot of times, him and the director will get like maybe two three days to like really bounce ideas off of each other and build out the portfolio, and then they send it in, and they just hear from the clients basically, we like it, and then they're like. Okay, I guess this is the plan then, and then you just go in. So there isn't a lot of time to have as much There's money time. that they have. They don't necessarily have the time to come and talk to you. you They're know? there. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. No, beforehand. For sure. I'm yeah, saying. yeah, yeah. Right. I got you. Yeah. 
All right, next question. Next question. Moving on. How do you define success? Um, for myself or just success, period. <laughs> for yourself. Um, yeah. how, do, how, do you, how do you gauge life? Uh, I am possibly my, not only my biggest critic, but my worst critic. I think most of the stuff that I make, I just give it one out of ten stars, you know? Uh, even if I did like it right after it comes out, a week later it was like, that shit, you can do way better. Sure. You know? Um, so I... So do you, do you rewatch your stuff? Or do you I, avoid rewatching your stuff? I rewatch my stuff a lot right when it comes out. And then I never watch it again. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I just want to make something good. I don't care. I mean, so I have a tattoo on my arm. You can't see it because of the blazer, but it's a, would you kindly, it's a quote from, from Bioshock, the video game. And, um, the gaming company that ended up making that game sold the rights to 2k, uh, for a shit ton of money. And, um, they kind of cashed out. 2K made it Bioshock 2, and they tanked it hard. They decided to make a game that was more action-heavy. story wasn't that great. Mm. It was based in the same thing. There was no evolution whatsoever. It sucked. The company ended up getting partial rights back, and they came and they tanked their company to make the third game and make a good one. And to me, I love that. I mean, to, to the fact that they were like, you can't do this to our thing. We gave it to you in trust that you were going to make something good, and they didn't. And they came back, and they did everything that they could. They tanked their company, and they went bankrupt in order to make it right. I identify with that story. I would tank my entire bank account <laughs> in order to make something good. Uh, that That's more than money that's uh that's leaving something behind that actually matters so uh i guess defining success is making something good so how do you how would you know if it's how do you you know (laughs) you know so is it based is so do you how much do others opinions of your work weigh into so, like, when you say you know, it's like, oh, you know, because the world showed up to watch it, and it's, rot- it's Rotten Tomato scores 99%, or you know because, oh, the Rotten Tomato scores 32%, but in your heart, it's really good. Like, how does... Yeah, you just... Yeah, I feel like you know as a person... I mean, look, dude, uh, Parched, Parched was the first, my first short that I took onto the festival circuit, and I can tell you nothing matters. <laughs> like, I I was accepted into, you know, a pretty big festival, Horror House, and I was denied from a Sunday shorts week where three dudes in the UK watch movies in their basement and, like, say whether or not they're good. And they said, sorry, your short sucks. And then Horror House was like, hey, this is great. Like, come in with the big dogs. You're the little guy, but... You're here, at least, you know? So as far as, like, what people think about your stuff, shit, dude, it's, it's going to be all over the place forever. I mean, you're, you're lucky if you get 
something 90% critics and viewers. And if it is, it was probably just a successful ad campaign. <laughs> you know, like, it, filmmaking is so subjective and how people see it and the mindset that they're in when they see it, it changes everything. I mean, I, I can't tell you the, the type of reactions that I've had to a film just based off of how I felt in that current moment. Sometimes you're just not ready to watch a movie. And you go in and you're like, this film sucks. And then you watch it a year later and you're like, that was actually pretty good. you know, Or the opposite way around. You're like, man, this film was amazing. And you watch it and it was like, oh, it's just nostalgia. This film does suck. you know. So it is all subjective. You have to, you know in your heart whether or not your film is what you were going for. And that's all you can do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, if you're setting if you're setting out to make a good movie for other people, chances are it's going to kind of blow. <laughs> like, you know. So, so your so is your approach more so uh the weight of the success of the film is more so on how you feel as an individual and it doesn't really sway very much from there, like regardless of festival success or no I would say notes the, from friends. The or... only other thing that really matters to me is if we end it and the crew was like, I don't know what the fuck that was, but all right, man. Like, if they're proud of what they did, especially when they see it, when they see the final product, then I feel like that's the only other thing that matters. That's the yeah. only other thing that I would take into account of like, all right, we did we did good, you know. Yeah, it's very sweet. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's it. Maybe that makes me like Ed Wood two point or something, but who cares, you know? Yeah, gotta do what you do. Oh, oh no. What about you? How do you define success, Eddie? Okay, I don't. <laughs> that's the key to success, everybody. If you don't define it. And it's always everyday there. success yeah <clears throat> um i don't know if you ask the question <laughs> you better have an answer son no 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 come on come on i think about um i guess like i usually think to myself am i growing am i am i getting thing. better yeah am i feeling more confident am i feeling more competent and if that keeps, if I keep elevating in that mental space, in that self feel. As long as there's self evolution here. Right, yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, I, a past version of me cannot be doing what I'm doing right now and would not even know a lot of the tactics I'm trying or the story sure. beats I'm trying to put in or even communicating in the same way, like, if the experience is still compiling and making me feel like I'm having that growth, I do feel like that upward trajectory is success. Like the, that is being a successful trajectory is just the, that's kind of, that's how I look at it. Right on. So. I, I can agree with a lot of that for sure. Yeah, I think that's a good place to be. That's a healthy place to be. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So then kind of whatever revolves around this line that you're on, um, 
it's you know as long as it kind of comes down to what you're saying as long as uh as long as you knew you did the best that you could with what you had to work with at that time yeah. then that's a successful project and you kind of move forward you look back on it and you remember that that's where you were at at that time and just accept it for what it is and keep moving forward and keep growing and keep learning and and then it's ultimate success. <laughs> <laughs> There's an ultimate. <laughs> is uh, the line just goes on forever, right? Is that how it works? Sure. You always keep growing. I mean, there's there's too much to learn. There's too many things to try. Absolutely. There's, yeah. There's and then I'm sure just even as a, as a person, you're gonna have experiences in life that are gonna send you different directions and you'll end up on a path that you didn't expect. Oh, yeah. And it just gives you another opportunity to try something new. Love you, buddy. Let's talk. There's two places I want to touch on before we leave today. Yeah. I don't know why I slapped there. We're going to talk about a little bit of past and a little bit of future. Past and future. Past and future. Because the people need to know, you you prefaced a little bit about you started in the VFX, visual effects realm, mm -hmm. and then also having something to look forward to as, as far as people that want to stay on the, the Charles bandwagon journey and, sure. and have something to look forward to as well with, with what's going on there. Mm -hmm. All right, so the past. Any, yeah. I, I don't Yeah, however... Where does where does your story start? How do you, how did you, in terms of who you are now, and uh, where there was a fork in the road, and you ended up going this direction? Yeah, I mean, uh, to keep a long story long, I guess. Uh, uh, my dad's in the industry. My mom was also in the industry. She was an actress. They met uh, in the '80s, I believe, on the set of. I don't, I don't think it was Clan of the Cave Bear, but it was something i think they did a film with like john lithgow or something before that um but yeah they're both in the film industry my dad got into visual effects um right when it started up so he was one of like the first people in it and um he was actually uh a big pioneer of um this kind of thing called introvision which is almost what they're using today with the LED screens on the Mandalorian, mm -hmm. but way back in the day. So they used to pre-vis visual effects and then just film it on the day of so you could with, see with what it like looks a, like. like a projector mm -hmm. back then? Yep. Okay, yeah. So it would be projection. And uh, if you ask anyone that has ever worked on an IntraVision project, they'd say it's hell on earth. <laughs> and uh, uh, the, the stuff was just so fresh. But... Um, you know, my dad started in that realm, moved into visual effects, and I followed in his footsteps. Uh, didn't didn't buy what he was selling. I don't. I, I didn't really like the visual effects realm. Um, I started out as a rotoscope artist, and I I kind of love to say I would rather be a Chilean miner than a rotoscope <laughs> artist um, for <laughs> for the rest of my life. Um, I wanted to to move up in the realm of VFX, but rotoscope. Uh, art is something that not a lot of people want to do or are good at because they just don't want to spend the time doing it. 
Yeah. And apparently I was decent at it. So he was like, I'd rather pay you more to do that than move up the ladder. And I was like, I don't want to do that. It's a trap. So I quit. And um, I met up with my friend James Hong, who I, I had known for a very long time. Let's pause. Yeah. Let's go back to Rotoscope Artist a yeah. little bit. For the... For, it's. I understand what it is because I watch VFX artists react on on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> but Sweet. for those that don't know what you mean by like, yeah, the, me... the the yeah, what's what kind of examples do you have on, on what sure. the work looks like? I'll I'll break down the entire realm of visual effects with three easy examples. Great. Um, okay, so basically, there's three forms of visual effects that matter. You have your compositors, you have your rotoscope artists, and you have like your 3D and element workers and stuff like that. You have 3D element workers, which are creating fire effects, and they're putting in the fake backgrounds and like making uh, helicopters that explode and stuff like that. They're doing all the 3D and the, all the fake work that doesn't exist. Then you have your rotoscope artists, which takes the real shot of, let's say, Eddie sitting in a car on a set and there's a green screen behind him um and let's say they were like you know what we need the effect to be on like eddie's face but we don't really want it on his body and like that what the rotoscopes artist job is is they have to go in and they have to trace your head perfectly and every single frame where you move they have to adjust it and they're we're Basically just sitting there just tracing all day long to separate the shot into layers. And then the compositor... And that's frame by frame? Not or? necessarily frame by frame. You, you want to have your big keyframes, but like legitimately like every three to five frames, you're, you have to go in and adjust. In each second, there's 24 frames in traditionally. A, yeah, 24 frames in a second. And most visual effect shots, for people that don't know, are anywhere between two to five seconds. Um, if it's a really, really big one, it, it may be like 10, but most visual effects shots are in between two and five seconds. Okay. Um, but yeah, so the rotoscope artist is basically separating the shot into layers by tracing it out. And then the compositor takes the 3D work and the elements, and they take the separated shot, and then they put it all together and make it look real. That's visual effects. That's it. So tracing. Tracing, separating, cropping out, layering, mm -hmm. relayering for yeah, yeah. No, that's sounds like a great time. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> okay, all right. So you sorry you were continuing. Yeah, so I, I flew the coop and I, I ran away as fast as I could, and um, I met up with my friend James, who was just starting to kind of build a collective with a couple of other friends. They didn't really know what they were going to do. They knew that they wanted to be filmmakers. Someone had a camera, someone had a mic, and we were just like, all right, let's shoot something. And we came together, and we had writers' meetings where we all wrote stuff, and then we'd choose like, our favorite script, and then we'd just go shoot that. And that's kind of how we did it for two years. And you know, we, we did music videos for like some friends or friends mm -hmm. of friends or whatever and got hired onto like, little gigs, but it was really just about learning the process of filmmaking. So I did a lot of that. Um, on the first one, I started off as just kind of like a special effects kind of guy and an assistant camera, and I just kept working towards what I wanted to work on. And I, I, tr I tried to have my hand in everything. Mm -hmm. You know, I tried sound. I tried 
supervision. I tried, uh, you know, the camera work and supervision. What? Just like visual effects supervision, oh, set okay. supervision, um, you know, any anything like that. Um, but uh, yeah, I I tried my hand at everything. I knew I wanted to write and direct one day. Uh, I've always known that since mm. I was a kid. Mm. Um, but you know, I just uh, I. I put in my my hours, and you know we're still obviously putting in our, our sure, hours. Sure, sure. But uh, yeah, and 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 here I am. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Not a very interesting story, right? Okay. So, <laughs> so you knew since you're a little young lad, little kid, yeah, that writing and directing was something you wanted to do. Yeah, I knew for sure that. You and, know, I guess like. Writing stories was something that came easier because I didn't necessarily know what directing entailed. But as I grew older, I for sure knew, like, okay, directing is what makes sense to me. How did you – did you ever have opportunities to, to see directors and work as a kid to kind of get a better gauge of what the job actually was? Yeah, or? yeah. So my dad was – you know, he, he worked on film sets throughout my entire life, right. and I always went on set with him. And got to see what they were doing. A um, lot more downtime than people would expect, but mm -hmm. but yeah, no, it was cool. I, I got to see the the set of holes when they were filming holes. I got to see a lot of the commercial work and he was very interesting character. Man. He was there. Yeah, he was obsessed with the camera. Any time that they were setting up with the shot and stuff like that, he mm -hmm. always got behind the camera to check to see what the shot was, how they were doing it, you know, all the technical aspects of it. Pretty, pretty interesting kid. Yeah. I'm a big Shia LaBeouf fan. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I, I don't know. These days, I hear he's in a bit of trouble. Of course. <laughs> I think anyone that is famous since they were a kid is going to be in a lot of trouble. A lot of you trouble know? all the time. So, yeah, they're not okay. well-adjusted human beings. So, all right, yeah, because that's, that's the difference for me is I, I didn't know what directing was for a long time. Yeah. Like until like my mid twenties. Until yeah, yeah. I figured out like what like that how it worked or what it entailed. Like I had no idea how so that's cool that you you kinda you got to see it and develop a thought on it very young. I, or, I, I definitely will say that the big thing that kind of brought me to the forefront of like, wow, I really do want to be a director is surprisingly World of Warcraft. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I uh, when, you used... when you watch the movie yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, so they may or may not have things called private servers uh, back in the day where you could download the entire map of the game change it and mod it as you will and then host a server from your computer I hear it's illegal but if you were going to do it it is possible and um, you know, and if I was going to do it, it would be uh, something called a role-playing realm where people basically play D and D but online. And uh, you know, if 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 I was going to do it, I would I would build a lot of stories. I'd build a custom world that had nothing to do with the original one, and build the new characters and new stories every week that yeah, people could yeah, log in. Yeah, and you're essentially play. playing D and D. Yeah, uh, yeah. You're I'm D basically you're, being you're, a dungeon master. Yeah, you're DM. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and that experience was really 
what was like, okay, yeah, you, this is what I want to do. You felt at home. You Absolutely. felt comfortable in that role. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yep. There you go. Past. <laughs> now for the future. Yes. It's currently September 18th, mm -hmm. 2021. Yeah. Age of COVID. <laughs> yeah. Um, tomorrow's my birthday. Yeah. <laughs> Happy early birthday. <laughs> you just had to mention it, folks. I had to Just had to make it, it about him. Of yeah. course. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I know we... we, what, we, what, we, what, we you, what are you doing for your birthday? Are you doing anything special? You just... Well, I, I had a hangout last night, so it's all... That's it? I'm going to have some cake tomorrow. Not doing anything on the big day, dude? We'll see. All right. Um, Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I, all right. I know we grabbed coffee recently and we chatted a little bit about the future stuff. But, yeah. But um, you are in pre-production on a project you're looking to shoot in a couple months. Is that still, is that still the case? Yeah, we're shooting in, shit, we're shooting in like seven weeks, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, that one uh, we're filming at, uh, my, my new place. Um, you know, I just wanted to, I originally had a, a bigger project that I wanted to tackle at the end of this year, tail end of this year, beginning of next year, but it's gotten pushed back like twice, mm -hmm. uh, just with the logistics of how we're going to make it. Um, but like, as far as the size of the project is... It's a hundred times bigger than anything that I've tried to do. So I'm way in over uh, my head. A hundred <laughs> times bigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's... So, yeah, what's the... That's, okay, so as far as the bigger project, what's yeah. what's been the um, limiting factor on... What's the thing that has to go right for this thing to officially be solid is it i forget was it like a cast schedule cast scheduling cast scheduling i i want to i'm trying to work with my old next door neighbor eric paladino um who is a great guy he's an actor you've probably seen him before in literally any cop procedural show uh he's at least been in for like four to five episodes um and he uh I mean, his big claim to fame when he was younger was he was the, the, the cute nurse on ER. And then um, he ended up doing a show called Over There uh, for TNT or something like that. And, um, yeah, I just, I've always wanted to work with him. And I've done, like, a little sketch with him before. But, like, I really want to work with him, at, like, as a, as a bad guy character. Yeah. Um, which I think he'd, he'd be great for. So um, I was looking forward to that, but he just, and good for him, um, it was just announced so I can finally say it out loud, oh. but uh, he got hired onto a new Netflix series that's based off of a graphic novel called Grendel, um, which is actually drawn by the artist that did Batman's Long Halloween. Okay, but and also a police procedural? Or? It is a, it's a neo-noir. That's what... He he's playing a uh, neo noir. Yeah, he's playing a, uh, a a crime lord. Basically, he's playing the main oh, antagonist okay, okay, of the story. Okay. Right. So they, he yeah. took a role that you're trying to give him already. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, kind of. I, yeah, I I I have a a, a character in my little thing where he's he's playing a, a the bad guy. Yeah, a, a gangster kind of dude. Cool. But yeah. 
All right, so that's, that's in the wings, as they say. Yeah, I can't wait to do that, that project. I mean, just to visually show people. I know that my strength as a filmmaker, which I don't mind working on a lot of the indie project stuff, and it, it helps me kind of like really focus in on story and character, um, which is the point of telling stories. But I have experience in visual effects. And I have experience in being able to make things that I know other filmmakers, because when I tell them this is the project I'm going to do, they say, is that even possible? Mm. And the answer is yes, you can do stuff like that. Um, but you have to have certain knowledge. And I have a lot of friends that luckily work in, in the field of visual effects and in special effects and stuff like that. So this project that I'm trying to tackle is something that is completely mm. different than anything. Yeah. So you're push you're pushing the boundaries and your limitations in both realms of yeah. like how do I pair my my skill set of the effects and where I'm at as a director yeah. and capitalize on again where I am right now yeah. on the on the growth line. Yeah. That's very exciting. Yeah, I mean I, I always try and challenge myself with every project in one aspect that I feel like is like I don't even know if I can do this. Right? You don't want to do that in every aspect because then you're in over your head and the project's going to be no, a disaster. No, I mean, no. I mean, but, that's, you know. uh, no, that's definitely, got, I feel like that's got to be the feeling. Yeah. Otherwise, it's, oh, for it's sure. too yeah. easy. You're yeah, just like, well, you I've, already, I've already done this. Here we go again. Yep. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, this next one, especially with what I am toying with in these next couple of weeks. I mean, I spoke to you a little bit off camera about the tiny little studio that I'm trying to build, but like I am really trying to build something that other people aren't doing right now. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's great. <laughs> no, I like, I know I definitely like it. Um, it reminds me of like, I mean, I think that's where all the, all the, co-work comes from anyway because like you said it's hard to really define what a director is right and directors can come from all sorts of different backgrounds like i think about like just the john wick stuff like the the directors that come from the stunt world yeah and the other directors are like is that even possible and you're right. like well this is the world that i know exactly and you bring your skill set yeah and you're like we're gonna elevate that yeah because other people aren't doing it yep. so that's great yeah so I mean, as as far as as far as projects to come, I really hope that I can bring something that is something that people really haven't seen before. Which is, I don't want to do a visual spectacle like a Marvel movie because that in itself kind of has its limitations. We can only see the reveal of a secret city so many times before we're like, who gives a shit, right? So, like, when Aquaman's, when they're going underwater and they're like, this is Atlantis, it's like, yeah, I saw this in Black Panther, Guardians of the Galaxy, like, all these things. I just don't care anymore. It's a VFX shot. We get it. But, you know, if you can harness that energy to tell a much more focused story, there's something new. And that's what I'm trying to do. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, man. 100%. Because, I mean, and then also, it, you would need a lot more resources to compete with that anyway. Like, it's not. Absolutely. So, so again, <laughs> <Absolutely. Yeah. laughs> limitations kind of help focus that up, too. 100%. Right? 
with like I could do my own secret city, but why? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> why yeah, would I, I mean, do that? I, I feel like that's that's a big issue though when a lot of people are getting into, you know, visual effects filmmaking is like they just it's either none or a bunch. You know, it's like people mm. don't necessarily know in what ways you can use it, and there yeah. are. That's me. I'm guilty. Oh. <laughs> I'm guilty of that. Yeah. But that's why. Again, like you said, yeah, I don't know. That's yeah, why yeah. we have friends. There you go. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, a, a good example is in, in my dad, a lot of the work that he does, he calls invisible effects, which I, mm-hmm. I did on Parched, where all of, the, all of the water on the sinks and stuff like that, that's all fake. And then um, when she kneels down in the glass on the photo, I mean, obviously there was no glass there, so I created a fake pane of glass and had, her, had it crack when she, you know, puts her, her foot down mm. on it, mm. her knee. You know, just certain things like that where it's like, yeah, you can use the world of visual effects to your advantage, but, like, in very, very small instances. Very nice, subtle ways mm-hmm. that people wouldn't think. Yeah. I love it. That's all I got. All right. That's all I got. Well, what about your future, dude? I'm doing a lot, buddy. Yeah. I'm doing a lot. I don't, tell I don't, tell I don't, the folks at home. I don't know if I told you about yeah. this at coffee or where I was with it. I was talking about um, directing a movie next month. Yes. Did I, did I take the gig yet or was I telling you about You the... texted me that you took the gig. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I took it later that day or something? Yeah, yeah. You did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm directing a movie All right. uh, next month. It's going to be a crazy ride. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of in that vein too where it feels like okay I've done this before mm-hmm. and also I haven't done this before yeah <laughs> <laughs> so it feels I, I'm trying to wrestle with like what I'm getting from it still a little bit it's like alright cool this is a I'm almost more excited and I don't know if this is just trying to come to terms with how I'm looking at it but I almost feel more excited about, oh my gosh, it's an opportunity to be in a space and just be the director and everybody sees me as the director and I'm, and I'm the director. I think that's great. And I'm like, great. I just want to live in that world more and discover my director self. Just have every opportunity I can to harness who I am as Eddie director, how I carry myself, how I blah, 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 approach all that kind of stuff. So... It's almost more of the excitement on that realm than the nitty gritty of um, trying to, I don't know, just anything else. <laughs> it's like, all right. It's like, all right, well, I mean, uh, I know how to do it. Let's, let's, let's talk with the DP. Let's shot list this thing. Let's talk to the actors. Let's try to figure out a way. Let's just try to figure out how to make this thing interesting and how we're going to get it done in this crazy schedule. I think I mean obviously this this schedule part of it is like a huge that's, stressful challenge. That's, that's the that's everything. Yeah, that's the caveat. But I, I I do think that it's cool at the fact that you're going into something and you're just like literally I am just the director. After this, I'm not going to be the editor. I'm not the you know I'm not playing triple hands i'm not my own script supervisor on my set like mm-hmm. i am just this and yeah, i think that's gonna, gonna, gonna be, be nice. great it's gonna be so that that should that makes it feel a lot more manageable it's yeah. like all right great i just have to worry about this 
Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's that. Yeah. Uh, what are you oh, I, I was going to say to specify, to clarify, uh-huh. the last two movies I made, Trauma Days, the New Mexico one was shot in 18 days. As I had mentioned, uh, it was on the inside. It was effectively... I, I usually say 20 days, 20 different meetup days for that. So this one that I'm jumping on now, <laughs> it's a seven-day project. Seven-day so, f- feature. Seven-day feature film. And I'm wrestling, again, with the, stu- the IATI stuff we're talking about. Not that this is any sort of union project. <laughs> <laughs> but the whole, I voiced it to the producers early on. I'm like... Yo, this is crazy. Right. Just FYI, what we're doing here. If we're going to do this, I do want to still honor the guidelines of I don't want to be overworking people. I don't want to, like, we're not going to be going 16 hour days to get this thing done in seven days. If you want that, just add, you just, you, we just need more money and more days if you want to. Right. Um, so I kind of made that clear up front. It's like, we're not, whatever. So I'm going to honor that on the seven day project is like, that's a thing. Um, so just to clarify on the timeline, you're going to ask a question. Oh well, yeah, I was just going to say, uh, when are you jumping into the project? When are you doing it? Uh, the shoots next month. I mean, I'm going to after this, I'm going to go and tour the locations that we're shooting on. Um, that's I'm doing that today. Oh wow! And then uh, it's going to be additionally crazy because I'm on a four week gig prior to jumping into that so i'm going to be script supervising on a four-week project uh week single tier <laughs> <laughs> just, just running down my face <laughs> so i'm going to be working weekdays for the next month and then my downtime i'm going to be prepping directing a movie may god have mercy <laughs> on yourself <laughs> so it's five weeks straight of set life right on and uh four weeks script soup one week directing, close off that, and then I could. Then I'll retire the year. Hell yeah. We'll see. Very nice, man. I mean, that's a way to go out on 2021, that's for sure. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Yes. And then uh, and then shortly after, we'll see where, where I'm at on the next one. Because I know I got the other one cooking. There's another one cooking, people. I don't know. There's a, lot, there's a lot plenty going on, and I don't. It's too many stages of stuff. Post production on the on the New Mexico one. Yeah. Blah blah blah. Yeah, man. Just juggling, just juggling features around here. You know, let's, let's do it. <laughs> there's that optimism. <laughs> let's get it done. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, thanks for swinging by. Final, final, final question. Mm-hmm. Where can people find you on the socials or website or what do you got for yeah. people? Yeah. Um, so on YouTube, it is the Nova Prospect. Um, and then... You can find uh, all... I mean, all your stuff is there, right? Parched yeah, and... Yeah, I try and post everything on YouTube. I also post it on Vimeo. I mean, Parched is a pretty dark uh short like visually and uh youtube sucks when it comes to compression Mm. really crushes those blacks so um i would say for the best viewing experience go to vimeo and i believe it's uh, charles mesa on vimeo 
Charles Mason Vimeo, YouTube, The Nova Prospect, and then uh, Instagram is pretty much the only social media page I use to update stuff. So The Nova Prospect on there as well. Follow all of that. Where cool. can they find you, Eddie? No. <laughs> Come on. Just like and subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, and I don't. I don't normally say where to find me. Yeah, because everybody already knows. You can find me on Instagram at Eddie V Hill V. Uh, you can find it's what's on the inside streaming now on Amazon Prime Video. Hey, uh, I have my website EddieVHillV.com. You can find everything there: short films, news about the features, the podcast, and more. All right, man. Great. Thanks for, thanks for coming on. Of course. Great having you. Yeah, don't forget to eat the rich and make art. See you later. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>